this lecture, I'm going to talk about different types of interest groups, formal and informal groups. Uh, and uh, the lecture today is going to be much cleaner in the sense that there are two different types of interest groups, formal and informal, organized and unorganized. You can refer to them either way, and I'll use those terms interchangeably. In the notes, I'm referring to them as formal and informal. Um, there's, this is a much cleaner lecture, this particular one. Uh, the lecture last time on types of interests showed not only uh, that there is a spectrum of, of different interests and no sort of clean categories, but that also there are at least there are three layers of, of uh, interest conflicts within the individual, within interest groups, and between different interest groups struggling against each other in the democratic system. Interests themselves are diverse and messy. The distinction between formal and informal interest groups is actually relatively clean. And here's what it is. A formal interest group has an organizational structure, and an informal interest group doesn't. Um, it's, in this class, we're going to mostly be speaking about the activities of formal interest groups, um, because they're the ones that are actually acting consciously and most effectively in the political system, uh, whereas Unorganized or informal interest groups have an impact, but it is way more indirect and way less efficacious. And so, in a way, we can easily ignore uh, informal interest groups. So what's the difference? Well, clearly a, a, a formal interest group has an organizational structure, right? There's the uh, um, National Rifle Association. There's the uh, American Association of Retired People. There's Greenpeace. There's uh, the National Association of uh, College Professors. There's all kinds. There's, I mean, <laughs> just there's, there, there's an endless sea of these uh, formal interest groups. Um, and and you're gonna, we're going to be looking at the activities of many of them. You're going to be doing assignments in this class that are going to have you doing research on uh, certain organized interest groups. That's easy to define, right? They, they, they have a website. There's a name, an organizational structure, and a website. And the website tells you a lot about what it is that, that interest group uh, is doing. An informal one is a group that has shared interests in a conceptual way. Um, so, for example... Uh, the students at Portland State University are an informal interest group. Um, and one of the things about an informal interest group is that they can share interests, but that conflict of interest that I talked about in the last lecture is going to be much more apparent, is, is one of the reasons why it's kind of uh, the, the, the informal interest groups are more diffuse and less effective. What interests do all of the students at Portland State University have? And in fact, what interests do all college students in the United States have, or all college students uh, around the world have? Right? They have an interest, conceptually, in the most accessible, highest quality, uh, relevant form of education possible. What do you as a student want? You want the lowest cost, possibly free, right? relevant to your life and to your vocational interests, uh, and uh, high quality. Right? That would be, that's, those are your interests. Um, and those are largely material interests, though they also, those are ones that, that uh, because they're kind of uh, big and abstract, they also can be values-based as well. Accessibility, high quality, relevance, these are all values as well. But for any individual student, a really inexpensive, let's call it free, college education that's extremely relevant to their career interests, that is uh, delivering high quality instruction so that, that it's not only relevant to their career interests, it actually gives them uh, all the skills that they need to, to be effective 
uh, at an entry level position in this job or even at a higher than entry level position. That is clearly interest. Uh, so students are an informal interest group. Um, why is an informal interest group, which these are pretty powerful interests, why is uh, an informal interest group something that we're not really going to be talking about in this class? Well, an informal interest group lacks a lot of things that, will, that would make for effective political action. For one thing, informal interest groups have unarticulated preferences, right? Like these are general conceptual things, lower cost or free uh, tuition, relevance, uh, vocational relevance, high quality. These are real things, but they're very abstract and they're not articulated at a level like free college. That's actually articulated uh, at a pretty high level of uh, specificity, but the real common interest that all students have is not necessarily free college so much as accessibility, right? Free is one version, right? There are organized interest groups that are shooting for free college, and that's one of the things that formal interest groups have, is they not only have a defined membership and leadership, they have articulated policy preferences, right? There's specific things that the leadership of that organization has uh, agreed are the things that the organization is shooting for. Now, as I mentioned last time, there can be internal conflict of interests, and between, within the leadership and between the leadership and the membership, there could be conflicts as to what the specific policy preferences should be, right? So um, if uh, there's an organization that wants uh, accessibility, greater accessibility for, uh, of higher education for underprivileged uh, Americans, uh, some people in that group might think that means free. Other people might think that means low interest loans. Other people might think that means extremely affordable uh, public school uh, tuition. Um, so there, there can be those differences of specific policy preferences. But what an organization will have at a given moment, given the leadership that uh, is you know, essentially in charge of the political activities of that organization, there will be an articulated set of policy preferences. Now, they might have a few things that are acceptable, right? Like we're shooting for free, but we'll take low, highly subsidized, low tuition version of uh, public education. So it doesn't mean that there's one policy that's the thing and the only thing they want. There could be a set of acceptable policies, but they're articulated at a, and generally at a pretty high level. And often those things are specifically articulated on uh, the website. And if not, they're articulated in internal documents within the organization. So a formal interest group not only has uh, you know, a, a name and a website and membership and leadership, it has articulated policy preferences, whereas an informal group has things that would be good for it, but there aren't these articulated policy preferences. Um, there's also, uh, in the case of formal groups, there's specific activity that is or oriented towards marshalling and efficiently utilizing the resources of this organization. Uh, and they're going to use the, marshal and use those resources in targeted advocacy channels. So formal interest groups are just really very specific. Um, they have a name, they have a membership, they have policy preferences, they have resources and activities that are designed to increase those resources, and they have uh, activities through one or more of the official uh, advocacy channels, which I'll talk about in a future lecture. Informal interest groups share certain abstract conceptual interests. They don't have articulated policy preferences. Um, what they are is uh, they're not totally irrelevant. Uh, they are uh, represent latent resources. 
right? If there's no national student organization advocating for policies that would benefit all college students in the United States, there isn't one. If there isn't one, um, there are, out in the world of students, there are latent resources that can be picked up, right? There's activism, there's time, there's money, there's ideas, um, there are connections. All of those things can be utilized by uh, formal interest groups. And so informal interest groups, which are unorganized and sort of larval out there, they represent the potential for resources. Um, they are also targeted by formal interest groups for electoral support specifically. That's one of the, one of the greatest resources that any interest group can bring is votes. Uh, and we're definitely going to talk about that uh, next week in the, in, in the analysis of electoral activities of interest groups. But uh, informal interest groups, unorganized interest groups, they represent in a democratic society a lot of times a lot of votes. So there are latent resources in terms of energy, time, ideas, connections. Um, there's also the specific resource of votes. And so informal interest groups, students, suburban uh, housewives, uh, um, working class men, right? Like all of the working class white men, all of these different interest groups that don't have necessarily an organization with a website, they represent the potential of large numbers of votes uh, and possibly not large numbers, but often decisive numbers of votes that can help formal interest groups get beneficial uh, people elected or supportive people elected to uh, beneficial positions so they can actually get their policies across the finish line. Um, informal interest groups are also often not only targeted for resources, the latent resources that are out there that are being unused, and for uh, their votes, they're also often uh, the target for social movements, right? Uh, people who will lend their sort of basic generic support and sometimes their body to go to a march or to go to a protest um, or to sign a petition. Um, but informal interest groups are actually kind of what social movements, not just looking uh, for policy changes, that's what an interest group wants, but social movements want broader scale changes, right? <clears throat> there are lots of interest groups that are working on specific things that social movements themselves want the broader thing. So for example, if there's a social movement afoot right now for greater racial justice, um, that is, there are plenty of informal interest groups that uh, could be harnessed, their energy could be harnessed for that large scale goal. Formal interest groups don't just want racial justice, they want certain things. They want to demilitarize the police, they want to have greater citizen oversight of the police. They want to make sure there are certain specific kinds of accountability for police officers and certain specific kinds of training. Uh, different interest groups uh, have policy preferences that they've articulated that will advance that their particular interest. Right? A social movement and an interest group are operating at different levels of sort of abstractness. Informal interest groups are of interest to formal interest groups because they have resources and votes. They're of interest to social movements because they have bodies and uh, there's this sort of potency of larger numbers of people for what a social movement uh, is going for. Now, uh, that's basically it. There's two different types of interest groups. One of them we're gonna focus on, formal interest groups. Membership, leadership, resources, uh, uh, articulated policy preferences and advocacy uh, activities. And, and that is what we're gonna spend the rest of the term really looking at uh, is how these things go down. Informal interest groups are out there People 
often large groups of people, categories of people, who have something in common, some interest in common, but they have not necessarily been organized in the uh, direction of a particular policy or set of policies to get their interests realized. Informal interest groups generally are subject to policy outcomes and political struggles of other people. You kind of, if you're part, if you're, if you're not a, a member, a supporter, or a leader of a formal interest group, you're really just kind of subject to the outcomes of the democratic struggle among formal interest groups. Um, and that doesn't mean that those people are bad, right? It just means that they have less direct control over whether or not their interests are actually met. Right? And there are people like that too, right? Some people try to control their lives more and some people kind of just go with the flow and they're like, well, I'll just take what the universe gives me and uh, you know, whatever that is. Informal interest groups are kind of taking what the universe, the democratic uh, system, gives to them. Formal interest groups want to take from the universe uh, more of what uh, serves their interests. All right, so just know that going forward, it's gonna be formal interest groups we're gonna look at most specifically, but know that these informal groups are out there and that they are of interest as sources of resources and sources of votes and sources of bodies for uh, social movements. They, they are a subject uh, of uh, interest group activity. They're not an object of it. They themselves don't get involved in the interest group struggle that is going to be the uh, discussion of this course.